Good morning. morning. Beautiful day the Lord has blessed us with and a beautiful occasion to be together uh, in order to worship him. Before I begin, I've uh, been asked to uh, give a a brief uh, report on what's happening in Ukraine. I know that all of you are always thinking about that and praying about it and uh, curious about some of the things going on. A lot to be thankful for. It has been quiet the past week in uh, both Rivna and Jatomir, quiet except for the air raid sirens, okay, but quiet in the sense that there has been no uh, bombing or shelling except that the airport in Jatomir was attacked again. I don't know why they wanted to blow it up twice, but they did. Uh, but other than that, uh, no attacks on civilian areas. We're thankful for that. Nobody in either church has been injured or killed. We're so grateful for that. They still have internet, electricity, water, and all those things. Uh, so it is not as drastic as in some of the cities in the eastern part of the country that you have heard about. And the uh, brothers and sisters there continue to express their gratitude for your prayers and your support in every way. I want to say a little bit about that support because you may not be aware. Uh, When the war began, we immediately started getting phone calls from different parts of the country, from people who knew that we were involved in Ukraine and asking uh, if we were uh, collecting funds to help. The answer was, we didn't know we were, but yes, we are. Um, And people began sending those funds to us. They sent a lot of funds to us. One church sent us $20,000 this past week uh, to help with Ukraine. One of the blessings is that we can still get funds into them, and they can still buy food and medicines and things of that nature. So a lot to be thankful for there. We've had to do some shifting around. Uh, Kelly has done a lot of legwork, and... Uh, figuring out how to get the funds in there, but we're still able to do that. Uh, But uh, simply because people know of our involvement in Ukraine, we've been getting checks from people we don't know. We have no idea who they are. Uh, They come from various states, uh, one foreign country. Uh, We don't know who they are. We don't know how they know uh, about this, but they do. We have not asked anyone for any money whatsoever. Uh, They've just been volunteering it. But uh, that's a a great compliment, I think, to this church that uh, people know of our work and that they trust us with these funds. And uh, all of those funds are being used to help people inside Ukraine. A lot of other folks are doing good work among the refugees in Poland and other places. Our focus is on the people who cannot get out. It's on the people who are still there. And uh, so please keep praying for them. Uh, and especially as they ask us all the time, pray that this war will end. Uh, that's what they desire more than anything else. So uh, please continue to pray for them. I want to tell you a little Ukraine story. Back in 1995, in the spring, Carl Childress and I, along with several other people, had made a visit to the church in Chitomir, which had been in existence less than two years at that time. And we were on our way back, getting ready to go home, and we were spending the night uh, in Kiev in the Hotel Bratislava, which is uh, not too far from the uh, airport. Now, the Hotel Bratislava was an old Soviet-style hotel. And part of what Soviet-style means is that there were different floors for foreigners than there were for the locals. And uh, when we would every now and then see the floors for the locals, we were glad that there were floors for the foreigners because they were 
they were a lot nicer. You could just tell from the hallways were nicer, the rooms were nicer. And there was also on the floor for foreigners, uh, a floor lady, they called a dejournia. The dejournia is in charge of that floor and everything that goes on there. And they took their, took their responsibilities very seriously. And so they kept order, they watched everything, they were there 24 seven uh, and just kept everything running smoothly. And so it was always secure and quiet and peaceful on those floors for foreigners. Well, on this particular trip, for some reason, Carl and I got on the floor not for foreigners. <laughs> and the room was okay, so we didn't say anything. We just went ahead, you know, we decided we'd stay there. And so we went ahead and got ready for bed, and we had just gone to bed, and all of a sudden, somebody started pounding on that door and yelling uh, in, in something in Russian, and, and just pounding and pounding and pounding. And... I looked over at Carl and I said, we got to keep quiet. <laughs> he was sound asleep. <laughs> now, I want you to understand, he never woke up through this whole thing. Okay, this is strictly my story, all right? <laughs> pounding and pounding on that door and yelling and yelling and getting louder and louder and angrier and angrier. And I couldn't tell what he was saying, but I was pretty sure it was not welcome to Ukraine, okay? <laughs> I thought he's got the wrong room or he's drunk or both or I don't know what's going on. One of the things about those old Soviet hotels, the doors were lousy. The doors never fit right. They always had a lot of space around them. They were always loose, you know, uh, so you could shake, you could break one down without much trouble. And I thought, that guy's coming in here because he's just getting madder and madder. So I got a chair and I stood beside the door and I thought, when he comes in, I'm going to clean his clock with that chair. <laughs> And then I'm going to run down the hall and leave him with Carl. <laughs> well, about the time I thought he's coming in, he's going to get in, he stopped and he, and he went away. And, and I was so thankful. And Carl was thankful the next day when I told him about it. <laughs> but he finally, finally went away. Now, I tell you that story as a reminder that a door can have two purposes. One purpose is to provide access. If you walk up to a building you've never been to before, or a house you've never been to before, you don't try to climb in a window, do you? You don't try to bore a hole through the wall. You look for the door, because the door is where you have access. Now, sometimes burglars try to go down chimneys, and that never works out very well, okay? But we look for a door. That's what doors are for, is to provide access. But the other thing doors are, are for is to provide a barrier to entry. So when we get ready to go to bed at night, we close our doors and we lock our doors, don't we? That door we, we depend on to keep us safe. We want our doors to be strong. We want our doors to protect us and keep us safe inside. Now, if you'll notice in John 10 and verse 7, Jesus says, I am the door of the sheep. I am the door of the sheep. And I believe that he intends both of those functions for a door. He provides access and he also provides a barrier to access. When he says in verse 9, I am the door, if anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture it's through Jesus that we enter God's kingdom. 
It's through Jesus and only through Jesus, he said. He's the way, the truth, the life. It's through him that we find access to eternal life, and it is by him that we are kept safe. I have come that they may have life and have it abundantly. He's the door. He provides the access. But then in verse 10, he begins to talk about the thief who comes to steal and kill and destroy. Now, if you go back to verse 1, you'll notice that he says, those who are thieves and robbers don't come in by the door. They try to climb in by another way. They try to climb in by another way. Uh, he says, the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy, but he's come that we might have life and have it abundantly. And so as the door, Jesus keeps them out and keeps the sheep safe within. Now, you remember, too, that Jesus had said, and does him down in verse 11, I am the good shepherd. And it's often commented that he's kind of mixing his metaphors there, that he first of all is the door and then he turns into the shepherd. And what's with that? Well, what is with that is that they are the same thing. They're the same thing because in Jesus' day, a sheepfold was usually some kind of stone enclosure or uh, maybe a brush enclosure because they were out in the field. They're not, they're not back at the farm. They're out in the field. And so they would create kind of this makeshift sheepfold, and then the shepherd would lie down over the opening and be the door. The shepherd was the door. And so nobody could come in without going over that shepherd. And no sheep could get out without going through that shepherd. The shepherd was the door. And he provided access, but he also provided a barrier to keep those out who were not supposed to be there. And then in the morning, he would lead them out so that they could find pasture and water. And at night, he would lead them back in to find safety and he would be the door as well as the shepherd. You see, that's what good shepherds do. Good shepherds serve as doors for the sheep. It's part of the job. What does that have to do with shepherds in the church today? Well, according to a couple of things that Paul said, it has everything to do with being shepherds today. Shepherds, Elders, overseers, remember they're all the same thing in the New Testament, are what we might refer to as the gatekeepers of the church. That's, that's their job. Their job is to protect those who are on the inside and to keep unwanted intruders, thieves and wolves as they're described, out and to protect the sheep from them. They are to lead the sheep to find what they need for spiritual growth and nourishment and keep them safe. I hope you'll open your Bible with me right now to Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 16. You heard this read at the beginning of the service this morning. What Paul is talking about in Ephesians 4, his main subject is unity. He's appealing to the Ephesians to strive to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. And he talks about the unity that we all have in Christ, that we all have uh, the, the, the one... Uh, God and Father, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one body, all of those things that, that we all share together in Christ. But he says, but we have different gifts, different gifts within the body of Christ for the church's growth and stability. We're all united in one faith, but we all have different gifts. And in verse 11, beginning of verse 11, he says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the, the shepherds and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry 
for the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. That's quite a statement, isn't it? It's a very powerful, very beautiful statement. But I want you to notice here, first of all, that when he says God gave to the church these various gifts, these various people, God gives them to us as a blessing for the church. And one of those is what he calls the shepherds and teachers, or in the NIV, the pastors and teachers. The word pastor simply means shepherd. The shepherds and teachers. In the original it's obvious from the structure there that that's talking about one and the same thing, one and the same role. Shepherd teachers or pastor teachers, teaching shepherds is what it's talking about. Those are not two separate things. We traditionally divided them and said, okay, there are the shepherds and then there are, you know, they are the same thing. The shepherds who teach, teaching shepherds. And notice that their ministry is twofold. First of all, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. How do they do that? They do that by teaching, by their own example, by providing training and learning opportunities. And then their other function is to build up the body of Christ so that it reaches maturity and uh, enjoys uh, peace and stability. That's such a beautiful description of the church, isn't it? Isn't that a beautiful description when he talks about speaking the truth in love? We grow up into every way in him who is the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined in it together by every joint with which, which it is equipped. When each part is working properly and, and the body grows and upbuilds itself in love. And I want to ask you a question. How many churches have you ever seen that fit that description? How many churches have you ever seen that fit that description? That's the way Paul says it ought to be. But how many churches fit that description? And could it be that more churches don't fit that description because they are not led to fit that description? Because the leaders, the shepherds, have lost focus of shepherding the saints, equipping the saints, and building up the body spiritually. I talked last week about this, but we just can't say it enough. This fallacy, this idea that we have about elders as decision makers. Folks, we've got to get rid of that. We've got to get rid of that. They're not a board of directors. They're not the school board. They're not the town council. They are shepherds. When churches don't look for true shepherds to lead them and look for something else, then you end up with something besides shepherds. I've been in churches before where they would say, number one, you'd hear people talk about so-and-so might be a good, good, yes, he's a good businessman. Okay, that's great, but what's that got to do with being a shepherd? What's that got to do with being a shepherd? Oh, he's financially successful. Good for him. What's that got to do with being a shepherd? What's that got to do with being a shepherd? I've known the people to be nominated as shepherds whose faith 
was pretty obviously badly flawed, but they were financially successful. And so people said, but then they must be good elders. We've got to get away from that. We've got to get away from that. We've got to start thinking about people who have shepherds' hearts, who want to equip the saints for ministry, and who will build up the body of Christ so that it continually upbuilds itself in love. Decision-making is such a small part of what shepherds are supposed to do. And we have to come to grips with that. The other passage I want us to look at is Acts 20, verses 17 to 35. In Acts 20, Paul has a meeting with the elders of the church in Ephesus. He thinks he's never going to see them again. He's on his way to Jerusalem, and he's pretty sure that that's the last time they're ever going to see him. And so he, he meets with these elders that he has known for a long time, a church with which he's had a long relationship, and he delivers to them kind of a last will and testament about their responsibilities. He first of all talks about his own ministry and, and how he had uh, sacrificed in order to teach them, and he'd not held back anything. And he uh, had a clear conscience about how he had conducted himself while he was among them. And then he says to them in verse 28, Pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish every one of you with tears. Here's Paul talking to these elders about that protective function of shepherds or teachers or overseers that we mentioned earlier. And by the way, he calls them all three here. He meets with the elders and he says, the Holy Spirit has made you overseers and he tells them to shepherd the flock. So those are all the same thing in scripture. And so he talks to them about that protective function of being the gatekeepers for the church because he says they're going to need that. You're going to need that. He says, after my departure, you're going to need this. You're going to need to protect the church. And you're going to need to be ready to do that. The church needs protecting, he says, because wolves will come. And the wolves will seek to take over the flock and destroy it in the process. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, does that happen very often? Isn't that hyperbole? Isn't Paul kind of exaggerating here? That happens more than you would want to know. That happens a lot. It happens a lot. It especially happens a lot. If you want to see how often it happens, start a new congregation. There's something about new congregation that's just wolf bait. And the wolves see an opportunity, they think. Because they think, okay, this is a new group. They probably don't have much leadership, uh, you know, on and on and on. Here's my chance. They don't know me. They don't know, they don't know my little pet thing that I want to push here. And so they come in, and, and they start talking to people, and they start trying to gain a following, and they start trying to lead them away. And sometimes they just start teaching abject heresy. Sometimes they just teach abject nonsense. Nonsense. 
but it causes division in the flock. This happens all the time. And Paul says to these elders, these shepherds of the church in Ephesus, that it's their responsibility to stand up against that. They can't let that happen. They're the doors of the sheepfold. They have to protect it at all costs. And notice that he says wolves can arise from outside or from within. He said, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things. They've got to look out for each other. They've got to shepherd one another. They've got to be prepared to do that. They've got to be prepared to go to each other. If, if one or the other is off base, off beam, saying something that isn't right or behaving in a way that isn't right, they've got to be willing to go to each other and say, listen, this has to be made right. This has to be made straight. That's what shepherds do. They shepherd each other as well. Now, that's why teaching has to always be a primary function of elders. It's not all they do, but it's one of the main things they must do. When Paul was giving that list of qualifications in 1 Timothy 3, verses 1 to 8, one of the things he says is that they must be able to teach able to teach. Some of the older translations said apt to teach, and where I came from, apt to meant that you wanted to. You know, I'm just apt to go into town today. Well, that's not what this means. It means having the ability to do so, whether willing or not, but able to, to do so. Then Titus chapter 1, verses 5 to 10, Paul says he'd left Titus in Crete for two purposes, to set into order the things that remained. There were some things that were, were still undone in that church. It wasn't the orderly church that it needed to be. And so Titus needed to take care of that. And he says to appoint elders in every town, to appoint overseers in every town for the churches in those towns. And then he lists the qualifications that an overseer must be these things. And the last thing he lists in verse 9 is he says he must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught so that he may be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. All right, he's got to be able to do both things. He's got to be able to teach and teach what sound doctrine is. And then when somebody rises up and is teaching something otherwise, saying something false, saying something unhealthy for the church, something destructive for the church, he's got to be able to rebuke that and to correct it. Why? Look at verses 10 and 11. He says, there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers, and deceivers. They must be silenced. He says, Titus, you've got you to appoint these men to deal with that. Notice he did not say, Titus, you've got to deal with that. He told Titus to appoint these men who would deal with it. They must be silenced, he said. So the elders, the shepherds, have the dual function of both teaching what is true according to Scripture and refuting what is false. It's the only way they can protect the flock. It's the only way they can care for the church of God over which the Holy Spirit has made them overseers. They've got to know the difference between truth and error. They not only have to know Scripture well, but hold firmly to its teachings and be able to recognize the difference between true and false. One of the people who called me about helping out in Ukraine a uh, week before last uh, was Jason Garner. Some of you may remember Jason and Heidi from years ago when they lived here in Richmond. Jason's father, Terry, 
was an elder of a church in Parkersburg, West Virginia. And I was visiting in the Garner's home once, and Terry said, let me show you my library. And Terry worked, I think, in a chemical plant or something like that. He, he wasn't a, a preacher or anything of that nature, but, you know, he was normal. Uh, <laughs> he said, he said let, me, let me show you my library. And so we go down into the basement, and it's not a very large basement, but it was lined with books, wall to wall, floor to ceiling. There wasn't an inch of that, of that room that didn't have books in it. And he subscribed to every periodical put out by anybody in Churches of Christ. And I was just amazed. And I said, Terry, why do you, why do you have all this? Why do you subscribe to all these periodicals? And he just looked at me and he said, if I'm going to be a shepherd, I've got to know what a wolf looks like. And I thought, wow. How true is that? If you're going to be a shepherd, you've got to know what a wolf looks like. You have to know the difference between a sheep and a wolf. By contrast, I was in a Bible class one time years ago in another congregation where a man openly declared that it was not necessary for Jesus to die on the cross in order for us to be saved. And four elders sat there and never said a word. Never said a word. Never rebuked him, never stopped him, never corrected him. Didn't even come back later after it was pointed out to them and corrected. I'm not sure they understood what a heresy that was. Later, I was in conversation with an elder of another church in another city, and I was telling him about that incident. And I said, this is what this man said, that Jesus didn't really have to die on the cross. And he said, well, I'm not sure I would disagree with that. And I said, brother, you should. Because if you don't, the church where you are is in trouble. Sometimes we don't know a sheep from a wolf. Sometimes we don't know a sheep from a wolf. If elders are going to shepherd the flock and defend it and uphold healthy doctrine, they've got to be able to teach who Jesus is and what he did and why it's important. They've got to be able to teach them how to obey him, how to follow him. They've got to be able to teach on the church and the importance of the church. They've got to be able to teach unhealthy versus healthy, or healthy versus unhealthy Christian living. They've got to be able to do those things. Otherwise, they can't protect the flock. If they can't, if somebody can't do that, they're just not shepherd material. They're just not. That means when we're looking for shepherds, we need to look for men who are diligent students of the Word. Don't just have a surface knowledge of the Bible. They don't just dabble in the Bible but they know scripture and they're ready and willing to teach it. It takes men of the word to lead churches who will be faithful to the word and who will proclaim the word to the world around us. Remember, sheep go where sheep are led. Sheep go where sheep are led. So back to that hotel room in Kiev. I'm sure that if that man had tried hard enough, he could have broken that door down. But thankfully, he did not. You know, any door is okay as long as it's not put under pressure. Any door will do until the pressure becomes great enough. 
and what a lesson that is when we think about leadership in the church. There will come times when the doors of the church, its shepherds, will be tested. And knowing that will happen, we have to be certain that we select and appoint those who will be good shepherds, strong doors, men of the word, who can and will protect the sheep. Jesus said, I am the door. And he said, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. If you want eternal life today, you've got to come in through the door. And we've got to have no hesitation in saying that. You've got to come in through Jesus. I know the world doesn't like that. They think that's bigoted. They think that's narrow-minded. I think it's just truth. If there's somebody else who's died for your sins and risen from the dead and gone back into heaven, then follow them. But if it's only Jesus, then you've got to come in by the way. You've got to come in through him and through his death on the cross for your sins and his resurrection from the dead. There is no other way. And that being the case, it makes no sense to wait to follow him. It makes no sense to wait to confess him as God's son. It makes no sense to wait to be baptized into his death and to have your sins washed away. The only thing to do is to follow him. He is your good shepherd. He is the door to eternal life. Let him lead you. Let's stand together and sing.